0: Hello, I'm Jacob Kruger, and this is the Write Your Screenplay podcast. So I'm here today with Jenna Lorenzo. Jenna is a wonderful actor, a wonderful writer, a wonderful filmmaker. Um, she is the writer, director, and star of Lesbom, um, and uh, and she's also a student of ours, and so it's very exciting. Uh, to get to talk to you um you know you're one of those actors uh you know we always talk about actors uh creating your own material and the value of that uh and and you're one of the the actors who really saw the value of that so I I wish you could talk uh, I'd like for you to talk a little bit about like what that experience was like and and how that all worked for you how did you start writing um oh my gosh
1: well you know what's really funny is do you remember when I first started studying with you, like, forever ago? It was before you had the studio.
0: Yeah. In my little art studio in Williamsburg.
1: Yeah. And I wanted to do a web series then. Um, And like when I went to school, I studied writing and directing. Like, that was my focus. And I did some acting and the acting teacher at um, Carnegie Mellon really encouraged me to do a deep dive into um, acting after I graduated exclusively just for just a period of time. Mm-hmm. And then after that uh, year of conservatory um, is when I found you. <laughs> and I started writing um, these like short, Web series, series things, and you know we don't have a lot of money. Like you can't like find a lot of performers, and like so I found as many performers as I could, and I was uh, one of them because I also knew I didn't have to pay myself, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and so it was like one of those things where it was just uh, like I wanted to write and I wanted to create content, and and sometimes it's just easier to just do it all because when you're scrambling to find the finances um the less people you have to worry about the better yeah.
0: <laughs> and well you also you wrote roles that were great for yourself um
1: yeah well I think like and I and I know that I I'm guessing like because in some of when I listen to the way you approach like even in the Um, TV writing series class I'm taking with you now, like when I listen to the way you approach writing, there seems to be sort of that, if you want to call it spiritual, um, way in or I I see it as spiritual, but I, I look at it like well, what are the themes that I'm um, grappling with or the lessons I have yet to learn and, and then I get really curious about those and exploring them through the writing and then also in acting you get to sort of embody those things um, in a way that can like move through the body and I think and I think that is a great way to learn lessons
0: yeah I, I love that you're talking about writing as a spiritual practice. And I think, I think acting is a spiritual practice, too. You know, a lot of people think about acting as, you know, performance or something you do for others. And that's obviously yeah. a part of it. But it's also really just a deep dive into your own subconscious, just like, just like writing is.
1: Sure. Yeah. And in many ways, I think um, both uh, writing and acting and directing, um, because you have to sort of, you have to put your self out there and your voice out there. In many ways, it's an invitation of like practicing letting go and self-acceptance and self-compassion. Um, and so I have found that while m- m- the younger version of me thought that like it was like a dir- direct opposition with the spiritual um, path. I have found that it's like in, in perfect alignment because there's nothing that challenges my ego more.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. The, we talk about it in class all the time, right? That desire to be a good writer, like that, that ego desire, right? That we all have or to be a good actor or to nail that scene, right? And, yeah. and the process of actually letting go of that and going like, all I have to do is be truthful in this moment and say something that's truthful and write something that's truthful
1: um, right. Yeah, it's interesting, and you might like this. Um, like recently, I've been um, like singing and playing my guitar, and I have some musician friends. And I, I, and um, you know, they t- when they're when I'm like, oh my god, this is freaking scary. You know, they talk about the channeling, the vulnerability, and ultimately, what is interesting and in it and it, it aligns with all of these things. Is it's really about sort of singing in tune with your own voice instead of trying to be another voice.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that I I always, I always love to think about Bob Dylan. He, you know, he's an artist that I admire a lot. Um, but one of the reasons I admire him is, you know, no one was saying to Bob, Hey man, with that voice, you have to be a singer, you know, Uh, And, you know, he just became obsessed with Woody Guthrie, and he wanted to be Woody Guthrie. And he he tried to play like Woody Guthrie, and then once he figured out how to play like Woody Guthrie, he figured out that the how to sing like Bob Dylan, you know? And, um, you know, following those crazy instincts, I mean, that's where art is really born, you know? Art is not a rational process and and success, you know, and I'd love to talk to you a little bit more about your success, but success is not a rational process too. It's a, it's a crazy process where things that you would never think lead to something that you'd never think they could lead to, you know, it's, it's such an interesting journey. And so, you know, harnessing that passion and going, what is that thing that I care about so much? Like, I'm willing to do it if I'm terrible at it. I'm willing to do it if I suck at it. I'm willing to do it if the learning curve takes me 10 years or a lifetime because I just, I need to do it. And, and I've always felt like, you know, that's, that's how I feel about teaching. You know, I, I'm, I'm obsessive about it. I, I need to do it. And I always feel like if you're if you're doing something that fits that kind of passion for you, you're you're in a wonderful position, you know, because if you spend every day of your life doing something you love that much, even if you don't have success or success takes a long time, you have a very valuable life. Um, and and but I also think it gives you the best chance for success because you know it's that kind of passion that is required to break through the noise of, of everybody else who's trying to to achieve this this same goal.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly, I do think that the um, like you have to have that passion to feel the engine it requires to get a project going <laughs> and then and then complete it, Like you need like a lot of energy <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> yes, it's always going to be a little bit harder than you thought.
1: yeah, and I always tell um, you know young filmmakers or people are like, you know, how do, how do I get my movie made? And I am always like, just assume no one else cares. No one cares. You're the only one who cares. And just assume that as much as you care about this, everyone that is going to be working on your project has their version of this. So they don't have the same amount of energy that you can put into this.
0: Yeah. Yes. And one of the things, I don't know if you've found this, but I've always found, um, you know, when I'm working in production, and you have that kind of energy, oh, weird synergies happen where just angels appear. Uh, and I don't even believe in angels, but I know they show up. Uh, uh, you know,
1: <laughs> I believe in angels. I talk about I talk about this all the time. I believe in angels, you know, and I also believe in angels on this earth. But I say with like with Les Bomb in particular there are people who I refer to as angels that appeared in my life that handheld me through certain things. I had no understanding of that just miraculously showed up when I needed them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, it's, I remember I was directing one of my first plays that I produced myself. So, you you know, you know, producing your own stuff is so crazy and so overwhelming. (laughs) And, um, and, and it was set in Japan, and, in ancient Japan. <laughs> and, and I have like $6 for, uh, for, for uh, costumes. I don't even know how I'm going to pull this off, you know? <laughs> and, um, and we're in the theater one day, and this girl walks in, and she's just like, what are you doing? And we're like, oh, you know, we're, we're rehearsing a play. And she's like, do you need costumes because I can sew. And this random woman appeared and just sewed our kimonos. <laughs> like, oh, love that. Um, you know, and we also, uh, East West Players in Los Angeles helped us out. You know, like we, we, we had, a, there were a lot of angels that, that, that got involved in that project and helped us. But it, it is kind of amazing that, you know, the force of, because I think so few people actually walk their true path. You know, so many of us have a calling that we're afraid to, to follow. And when you actually start taking those steps onto your true path, I think it's, it's incredibly attractive for people. It's, people want to want to be involved with people who are, who are authentic and, and who are, who are living authentically.
1: Yeah. Cause I think it's, it's like, it's terrifying. Um, but the alternative is more terrifying. We sort of have to get through those like first, um, like what are those things where you walk over fire, yeah. <laughs> you, gotta, yeah. you gotta like, you gotta do that. And and I think that those initial, um, those initial steps are, I mean, they're, they're always scary. There's always like those moments in life, but, um, if you can sort of move past the fear, Uh, There's something always greater on the other side.
0: Yeah. So you produced a movie, your first feature, with how many Academy Award-winning stars?
1: (laughs) Well, uh, Cloris, Bruce had just been nominated. um, You know, and he is. You know, he's interesting because he's so and he's so like terrifying in many ways you know? we're
0: talking about bruce dern yeah right? sorry
1: sorry bruce sorry. dern yeah so he is um he's like intimidating because he's bruce dern and chloris is intimidating too but um but bruce is just like razor sharp with his int- intuition and he'll tell you exactly what's going on with everyone and it's really interesting because um, he doesn't uh, hold back when he wants to share.
0: <laughs> Do you have a terrifying Bruce Duran story to share with us?
1: Oh, my God. I have so many wonderful, um, like, oh, my gosh. The first day on, um, oh, my Lord. Okay. The first day uh, we were, he showed up on set. Like, he, his holding is was um, my childhood bedroom because he shot it in my, Family home because these are the locations I had access to. So, like, I immediately regret that because I'm like looking around and like everyone's like, oh my god, the set de- decoration is amazing in here. But like, my childhood bedroom was like preserved. You know? <laughs> so, I'm the, I would say like, the most embarrassing like um, decor that was added for the movie was actually just there. <laughs> and like Bruce was like, Make, he, like, was making fun of me left and right about this room, you know? And then he comes on to the set, and we're about to shoot. We're ready to shoot this scene, and, like, him and Chloris... The thing about it is we shot that movie in 15 days, so there wasn't a lot of time to improvise. This We shot what well was on, this, on the page for the most part. Now, Bruce got a little um, leeway because he's Bruce, and he sometimes just, he fires off what he calls durnsies. And on that first day, he warned me. He gave me the, he gave me a high compliment for my script. And I should have seen that I was about to get.
0: Um, <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, so he was like, he's like, I know why, I know why you cast me. And I was like, uh-huh. And he was like, Grandpa doesn't have a lot of lines. We're gonna give him some. And I was like, oh crap. <laughs> <laughs> But he does he gives he, you know you sometimes you just have to have like you're, you just have a little faith allow a little room and like there were moments where him and chloris were um they like kind of got at it in, in impro- like improvising and i was like cut are we fighting or improvising yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the two of them you see them work and you're like oh you understand immediately why they're legends because they're such flexibility and freedom in their choices without fearing that they're the right choices yeah they commit and they go for it
0: i i love that it, you know it, because it's so true about writing too you know when when we get obsessed with trying to make the right choices trying to do it right you know trying to do it well right? We forget that, you know, we're in the business of play, you know, that actually we're supposed to be playing. We're supposed to be exploring. We're supposed to be learning uh, rather than controlling. And, you know, when you watch two gifted actors play, right, you see the lightning. Um, And then there's, you know, that very challenging directorial job right which is you know it's easier on set when you're you've got an actor and you've got a director and the director can go hey bruce keep that hey you know okay now let's do it again like this right you can you you have an outside person who's watching you know and and in screenwriting it's more challenging because the inside person who's watching is also you you know
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, and in in a lot of ways, on set of that film, it was sort of the same scenario because I was in a lot of those scenes. Yeah. So similar to the writing process, when it is you, you sort of for me, I have to trust. Am I? M- m- my friend always makes fun of me for saying this because I'm like, do I feel it in my body or I, do I not? Yeah. Um, but like, I, and that's the only way I can describe it is like, does it ring true here?
0: Yeah.
1: You know. And I can only trust that.
0: Yeah. That's what they actually what they call kinesthetic learning. Uh, it means that So you're, you, there are four mo- main modalities that, that people learn. Um, and it's actually, as a screenwriter, you can think about those are the four modalities you want to hit in your script. Because it means regardless of the learning style of the person who's reading it, they're going to experience it. Um, and so kinesthetic means that you primarily learn by feeling. Right. And that's why you feel it in your body when it's right. Um, right. Whereas if you're speaking to a visual and you say, well, you'll feel it when, when it's right. And they're going to be like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? Cause for someone who primarily learns visual, they'll know when they see it.
1: This is a hundred percent why my wife and I get into arguments. <laughs> <laughs> I told her, I told her she had to read poetry. Um, like she was listening with her heart and she told, she's like, why are you answering me with one riddle after another?
0: (laughs) So, yeah, so you could, you could check what's her, what's her modality. So, you know, just people, it's so easy to know, um, you know, people who, um, who are primarily, uh, uh, visual, um, they'll say, oh, I see that that's clear, you know, uh, and, and then it becomes so easy because you want to use words like that. You want to go visual when you talk to them, even in a pitch, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, to a kinesthetic, you might go like, how does that feel to you? Does that resonate? You mm-hmm. know? Whereas to a visual, you'd say, well, how do you see that? Right? Or, right. To an, or, or to an auditory, someone who primarily learns by hearing, you'd be like, what does that sound like to you? you know? and, so, uh, and, and these same modalities are so valuable when you're, when you're writing. You know, uh, many years ago, my accountant took my write your screenplay class and it turns out she's a lovely writer, uh, but she's an auditory mm. and we were doing this. Um, you know, I, I teach her how to hypnotize a reader, um, with your formatting. Right. And, uh, we were, we were working on action and she absolutely could not see it. She just couldn't see. And we tried going in through feeling and she couldn't feel. And then finally I said, well, what do you hear? cause she was just seeing blank. Right. And, and she said, I hear a ceiling fan. And then I was like, and what does it look like? She's like, oh, there's dust on it. And suddenly she was able to step into the whole room, but she had to go through that, that auditory way of learning. And so uh, interesting. you're kind of recognizing who you are as an artist. And we all have all of these modalities. The, the fourth one is called digital learning um, and digital learning is logical learning. Um, which is funny, because everybody in the world thinks they're a digital, because this is our entire education system is built on digital learning, you know, in 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue, this, right. weeks of that, you know, uh, it cause effect, right, we, we, we think that we're digital learners. But in, you know, in my entire career teaching, I've only taught one digital learner.
1: Yeah, yeah, I know. I'm like, like
0: I'm not, I Yeah, there are there are so few and, and it's one of the reasons that voices get obscured, right, is, you know, so much of the teaching is this very conscious mind, you know, analytical, this leads to that approach. And if you happen to be a digital learner, if you're like the one in a thousand person people who primarily learn that way, you know, you're going to read one of these very analytical books and that analysis you know, is going to lead you into your heart and into your vision and into your, your hearing. Uh, But if you're a normal human being, there are very few of these people, you know? Um, And if if you learn, like most, we learn, we learn through our emotions. We learn through what we see. We learn through what we feel. um, And we, we learn through what we hear. Uh, You can tell auditory is my weakest. Um, (laughs) Right. I'm like, what is that last one? (laughs) And so, so in an early draft of a script, you know, or an early, you can just be like, well, what do I feel? Well, what do I see? And then as you start to flush it out, you can go, well, what does it sound like? You Mm -hmm. know, uh, have I thought about the sound? You know, what that for me, that's often last because it's where I'm weak. Um, Yeah,
1: I think I um, I feel feel here, here. see
0: in the the digital. digital. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) <laughs> yes. And, and digital is last for n- probably 99% of people in the world. Um,
1: That's so interesting. Yeah.
0: There's a, there's some really interesting theory on this. Uh, if, if you, you know, the, uh, ec- economists used to believe that, uh, that people thought logically, you know, uh, ne- negotiate negotiators used to think that, you know, negotiations are rational procedure, you know, all this, this, education was all very digital right and but if you read uh like the the more recent behavioral economists uh Mm -hmm. people like uh, dan Ariely, for example uh who has a, a a book called predictably irrational which will blow your mind you know you realize that 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 um that even the business world is starting to realize that, you know, we're not put together from a rational place. We're put together from an emotional place that we are, we're spiritual creatures, you know? Right, right.
1: Of, course. <laughs> of course. Of course. <laughs> Nobody's logical.
0: <laughs> yes. Yes. No. And your audience is not logical. And, and the things that are so logical and make so much sense in the script are often not the things that move people, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I am. Um, I'm always interested in like um, what, what lands with people and why? Yeah, uh, like what moments um, and some of the stuff is was on the page, and some of the stuff was discovered on set. Yeah, you know,
0: I would love for you to talk. There, there, you know, there. One of the things about when you have a strong script. You know, a lot of people think you know our job as screenwriters is to control everything, and and, and the opposite is true. What a, what a great script does is actually gives people the freedom to do their best art. You know, mm-hmm. and so I really liked what you were saying about like, hey, we had to shoot the script, um, but within the script, the actors found the opportunity to do what they needed to do and find things, yeah. um, and. You know, a lot of writers make the mistake of going, you know, well, I'll just let the actors figure that out. I'll just let the directors figure that out. You know, and and, and when you do that, you you're not giving you're not giving the, the actors or the director the opportunity to do the best work because now they have to do your job you know, where what you really want, especially when you're working with great people, you want them to come in and go, oh, the story's here, the structure's here, the humor's here, the journey's here, the theme is here, All everything's here. Now I get to go in and I get to deepen it and explore it and add layers to it and complicate it and amplify it and and all that kind of wonderful stuff. And so I would love for you just to kind of walk us through the process, you know, how did you go from, you know, writing fun web series ideas for yourself to, to producing a major feature with major talent in it? Like, how, how, what, was it, what did that journey look like? And what did the development of that script look like?
1: Well, so I, um, so I wasn't gonna direct it and I wasn't gonna star in it. And um, because people would told me that would be impossible. You know, and then you listen to people. And I spent six years trying to attach both a writer, uh, both a director and a star. And I kept writing and writing and rewriting. And the first draft of that script was dramatic because I wasn't comfortable with my sexuality. Yeah, you know? (laughs) And then, you know, like six years later, you have the distance between the emotion and that, you know, that distance you can see it then through a comedic lens. Yes. Um, and when finally the script got into the hands of Rob Moran through a casting director friend of mine. And um, I had, so I had, before this, I was like, okay, I'm just gonna, everybody kept telling me I was gonna have to direct it and start on it myself if this thing was ever gonna get made. Just, the, just how it, this is like, and this is after everyone told me that that would never happen. You know, but it was like I was like listening to the same people, like as if like these these statements were diamonds of truth, you know. And then I realized when they were telling the same, they were telling me the exact opposite of what they had told me with the ex- same amount of conviction. Yeah. I was like, okay, no one knows anything. Yeah. And I decided I was like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna star and direct in it. I want to make this film now. And I decided to do a short film as a proof of concept to show what that would look like. And that short film is called Girl Night Stand. And I re- re- released it online and it went viral. Um, and what that did was allowed me to show investors that there was an audience who was, had an appetite for this kind of content.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's so, I wanted to stop you there because it's so important. You know, we live in such an exciting time for for writers and actors, you know, and directors. Uh, I mean, it's tough right now with COVID, but, um, you know, when I was coming up, you had to have a million dollars to, to make a, a movie. You know, it, it, was, it was absolutely the, the idea of, oh, I'm gonna make a short film, you know, that's gonna, that's gonna prove that I can do this, you know, like didn't, didn't exist. And and the the distribution didn't exist. So you could make a short film, um, but who was gonna see it? How were you gonna build audience? And the ability to just go, well, you know, there's a story I wanna tell and let me do a tiny little version of that that, kind of shows what's it going to feel like and what is it going to look like and it's going to have a little story there and you know the tone of that piece is obviously also very very important because it shows like it shows your physical comedy and you know like like what you can do (laughs) and and so how do you go viral how did that happen because i'm sure people are so curious
1: yeah i'm curious too (laughs) um so i i mean there was some strategy involved but then you sort of have to like Chance surrender. Um, yeah. So I, I found a, you know, the traditional route is to go to festivals. And I just didn't think that was going to do anything for what I needed. Um, because unless it like, unless the short like wins that Sundance, which is, it, it's, which has a particular vibe and tone in itself. Uh, and I just didn't think that this was like, I wasn't doing that. Yeah. And, um, uh, and you can't prove to uh, investors who's in the theater at a festival it's 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 not really
0: it was packed. It was a packed house <laughs> yeah, like
1: it's not um it's not it, what I didn't think it would be helpful for for this. Um, project so I found I reached out to a friend of mine who writes for um, LGBTQ publications and said hey like and she was she wasn't a friend at the time now she's a good friend of mine at the time I really I was a fan of her writing and her um, she's a critic and she writes about um, representation in the media and I I loved her voice so I I said to her hey I made this thing would you want to do a like premiere on your site Um, and so I put it on Vimeo and then she wrote about it. It was like released on that site. And then on Vimeo, it like sort of capped out at like 500,000 views, but people kept ripping it off of Vimeo and putting on YouTube. And so then the YouTube people told me I had to put it on YouTube so that I could do copyright claims. Uh So then I put it on YouTube and now it's like, um, well over 11 million views and it even got, it got ripped off of youtube and uploaded to a site in china and went viral in china this whole thing it was so interesting but it was wildly helpful to see the analytics and also as a filmmaker gave me a much more grounded perspective about um like reviews or criticisms because i could see when people wrote about it what actually drove traffic yeah And, you know, sometimes we, like, hold on to these things because somebody says something terrible. But then, like, you look at the numbers and you're like, no one else saw that. Yes. You know, and it sort of gives you, like, um, it sort of gives you, so you don't hold on to that stuff as long.
0: Yes. Yes. And and I think, you know, I I love what you're saying about about feedback, you know, uh, and criticism is, you know, we get so much advice, you know, and... (sighs) And it's always conflicting, or it's out of date. You know, it was a great advice three years ago. It was a great advice fifteen years ago. You know, um, you know, and and we get so many different kinds of conflicting feedback. You know, this person says it's great. You win this festival, you don't get to the second round in that festival. You know, we get we get so many confusing uh, pieces of feedback, and and I think it's about coming back to what we talk about, you know, and it's not working in a vacuum, you know, it's, it's about seeking mentorship. It's about, it's about learning from people. It's about building your network of people that you trust, you know? um, But it's, it's, it's about really being careful who you take feedback from, you know, and, and making sure that it's somebody that, that, that you really, that you really trust. um, And, and, and that, you know, it's, that it's not about, you know, I always feel like if people are giving you, primarily giving you advice, don't trust them. You know, <laughs> if, if people are primarily asking you questions that help you figure out the answers, well, you know, like those are your mentors. Those are your people that you want to, that you want to connect to.
1: Yeah. The people who force you to ask the right questions, because the thing is, is like when we start to get feedback, you know, you talk about feeling it, but like but also when your emotions start to be like it muddies that what you're feeling and what that feedback is. So I I do think it is really important to surround yourself with people whose work you trust, whose voice you trust, um, because then even when your emotions are making your own sort of um, reference point a little blurry, you know where you get what you need from those people because you you already know what you value from them.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So, um, okay, so I'm sorry, I interrupted your story. Keep telling your story.
1: Yeah, so uh, so then um, so then, once it went viral, like and then the script landed in Rob Moran's hand and he was like, we're going to make this movie in four months. And I was like, oh my God, what? Whoa, 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 whoa. And then like, and then um, I knew that the script was in a good place, but I knew it wasn't perfect. And then um, I came running to you. And I said, oh, my God, I'm directing and starring in this movie in four months. I need to get, make sure this, every single beat is like hitting because there's not going to be a lot of time to think on set. Yeah. You know, we're going to be moving quick.
0: And, and so talk about what's the difference, you know, because uh, you're a writer, you're a director, and you're a star. What is the difference in the way that you look at a piece when you are a writer versus the way you look at it when you're thinking, when you're putting on your director hat versus the way you think about it when you're putting on your star hat.
1: Right, well, I guess, and you know, you've been a teacher of mine for a long time now, and so has, um, as an actor and person, you know, another mentor is John Dapolito. And oh,
0: have so much respect for, him. he's a wonderful, if you don't, if you ha- if you're an actor and you're not, if you're not aware of John Dapolito, he's somebody that you want to be aware of for sure.
1: Yeah, and I, I and I think it's like it's really knowing that the theme is so important as both as as all three. So like, what am I <clears throat> what am I exploring in this piece? What's the overall vision? What's the feel? What's the tone? Like, what am I asking? And then, how are all the characters? within that piece, asking the same question. Um, and so as a director, I look at all of that and and then I, I try to make sure everyone's on the same engine. And then as a um, actor, I'm looking at like really, for me, I know like the the theme in life generally that like really, really, um, I'm always itching is like pining, you know, like what, like unrequited love or pining. And it, <clears throat> what's interesting with Lesbom is, um, you know, it, I started asking the question, well, like, what am I pining for? And, um, and, and ultimately it's my own self acceptance.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, uh, and so, and, and so, really, just sort of poking at that and following and following those questions.
0: Yes, and, and I remember, you know, when we were working the script, uh, we, you know, we were talking about, you know, this is a coming out story, you know, and and you know, if you, if you haven't seen the movie, it's uh, 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 the main character has, has just fallen in love and she's going home for Thanksgiving, uh, and she she needs to tell her family. And, um, and they have no idea that, that she's in love with a woman. Um, they think that she's about to marry her roommate, uh, who's a man. And, um, and you know, one of the things we found as we were working the script, and I, it, was, it was very organic, and I think it's, it's often this way with theme. You know, is, like, theme is not something you put on the script, theme is something you learn by like looking really deep at the script and you know as we looked really deep at that draft that you had been working on what we found was you know uh, it wasn't just the main character who was coming out that that all the characters were trying to come out in some way and and all of their coming out was interrupting each other's ability to come out and and just these people who just, we're having trouble who all loved each other, but we're having trouble being truthful with each other.
1: Yeah, Um, and where does that that, um, come from? Where does that, you know, you're talking about how important it is to live authentically, but where does that get kind of, uh, where are those barriers to living your organic truth? And then an inability to come out with that, that truth or speak your truth. And, and and then how does all of that collide in, in a family dynamic?
0: Yes. And, you know, and what's interesting is you still have those dramatic, you still have those dramatic intentions underneath that you started with, you know, sure. and yeah. uh, that, the, you know, drama is no different than than, than comedy, it's it's just a different tone laid over top, you know. But what what's going on in the film is something that's close to your heart that you're wrestling with that you're trying to make sense of, you know. And and I think that that's you know that's uh, you know. Always kind of an inspiring thing if, if especially if you're you're kind of reaching into a genre that you're not comfortable with or that you haven't worked in before is, is just realize or like you you write something you think is a drama and then you find out the producer wants to do it as a comedy you know or or people are laughing and you're not exactly sure why <laughs> which I know has happened to me many times um, <laughs> so recognizing that like as a as a writer you have so much control over tone you know that 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 you can that you can transform anything but that you want those dramatic underpinnings you know you want like what you call the question the question underneath to be there so that so that you have that kind of glue to tie the piece together
1: yeah, and I think it, what you were saying earlier um, is really important about making those choices um, on the page and the script so that the actors and the director can make those choices and not, and not assuming that the actors and the directors are just going to figure it out. Because when you set, and I think you said mentioned this in class the other day, and I thought it was like a really great way of putting it. When you put those borders in place... There's actually a lot of freedom when those borders are put into place because without those borders, there's too many tangents and it's too easy for too many imaginations to get uh, like go off on blurry tangents.
0: Yeah, you see this so often in devised pieces, you know. you you see this so often unless the person is a really really experienced and you know director and really experienced cast that has worked together a lot you know you see these beautiful moments that don't connect to each other you know and and i see it a lot with independent filmmakers and i want to like throw my body in between them and you know it's like you can't do that unless you really have money and really have a troupe um and, you know, you see these really beautiful movies where if the writer would have just spent another two weeks, you know, another, another, another six months really finding a version of what happens, they right. would have ended up with, with a movie that, that held together so much more strongly or a show that held together so much more strongly. And you know, and you can even see this with great you know actors, you know, who come into an undeveloped script and they're trying to make it better, you know, and even in Hollywood movies. But you see, they can take it off the rails if you don't have that framework to to play inside of. And so, giving yourself a framework, even if the framework is just like, well, I'm asking a question, I, I'm I'm asking a question, you know, or what am I pining for? What's everybody pining for? Or, Hey, I have this idea and I want the story to kind of go like this, you know, it almost doesn't matter what creates the border, but the border is actually our, our way into creativity because it focuses your mind.
1: Yeah. And, and, and like, and then once you know what the feel of that is, um, from a directing standpoint, like looking through the lens, I'm like, well, does it feel like that?
0: Yeah. Are we in the same world? Absolutely. Am I actually living up to my own vision for the piece, you know, or or do I need a rewrite Uh, or or do I need to ask the the actor to try something else, you know? Um, So, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of getting to the end here. So I I guess my last question would be, you know, for, um, for an actor who's looking to create a role for themselves, for uh, for someone starting their first script or for someone looking to produce their first film or to to make the move, the move from uh, producing or directing a short to, to a feature. You know, if you had one piece of advice to think about, what, what would that piece of advice be?
1: I would say that look at whatever makes you most uncomfortable. And then that's usually where you'll find the piece that you're supposed to write or the character you're supposed to play.
0: I love that. I love that. What a beautiful place to end. So yes, look for the things that make you uncomfortable. Uh, What a great, and put yourself in positions that make you uncomfortable. You know, write the scene that you don't know if you can write, Um, you know, or share the scene that you're really scared to share that you're afraid is terrible. You know, it, it's yeah. those, those places where we step out of, you know, uh, our normal world, you know.
1: Yeah, I, I will say the, the lion and lesbom, I won't give it away, but the, the lion and lesbom that made me the most uncomfortable on the page is the lion that got the cast attached.
0: Re- give it away. They're going to watch it anyway. Give, what's the lion?
1: I don't want to be gay.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: That was the most controversial line. It still gives people opinions to this day, when, especially when taken out of context. Yeah. That was the one I was uncomfortable to write, the one I was uncomfortable to say on screen, and the one that I was uncomfortable to keep in the movie. And that was the most important um, line in terms of getting the film up and running and in conversation and, 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 and having an impact.
0: Yeah, it's powerful. It's powerful. And uh, well, and what what a what a beautiful place to to end right is to remember that um, you know I always say to my my beginning students in my write your screenplay class uh, you know if I asked you to give me your best writing and just to cut out your worst you would actually give me your worst and you'd cut out your best. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Because especially newer writers, right, we tend to feel good about the things that reflect what we have seen in other movies, right? Or things that reflect the feelings that we're supposed to have you know, rather than the ones that we're actually trying to make sense of, you know, that are acceptable in our society, as opposed to the ones that make us doubt ourselves and how we fit in, Um, but it's actually that voice that those questions, that weird part of you, right, that is going to allow your script to transcend and and to get noticed and to stand out from everybody else because because that's where, where your voice comes from. And, you know, what we're doing on the page is we're wrestling with feelings, you know, and, and what happens to your character is by you having the courage to put that line in, she actually is able to move through that line, right? She's actually,
1: That's about, yeah, because what's on the other side is so much brighter and taken out of context. It sounds rather, it doesn't sound positive, How, but once, she, once past that, and as a person, me too, like as soon as I was comfortable with my sexuality life was so much better yeah i love my sexuality now
0: (laughs) yes so well thank you jenna thank you so much for uh for being a part of this uh uh go watch lesbom and uh and uh, uh, that's for all of our audience go watch it and um and thank you for 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 sharing your time and your experience with us
1: of course thanks for uh, having me and being my mentor and teacher
0: it's, it's truly truly a gift to get to work with you okay i'll see you soon jenna see ya <laughs> <Bye-bye>. Bye bye <laughs> bye If you're enjoying this podcast, I'd like to invite you to our newest free event. Every Thursday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific, we have a fabulous event called Quarantinis, and it's going to go on for free for as long as this crazy COVID thing continues. So here's how it works. Um, You can go to my website, writeyourscreenplay.com slash Quarantinis. You can pour yourself an alcoholic or non-alcoholic drink. And you will get to listen to an interview with one of our incredible teachers each week. Um, We will talk about a a screenwriting, TV writing, even comic book writing topic. Um, We will get really deep into understanding how that works, and then that will lead to a writing exercise and a place where you can share your work with the community. It's a wonderful, free event, and I hope you can join. Um, So again, writeyourscreenplay.com slash Quarantinis to RSVP. Um, You can make a donation or you can donate your time and a smile. That's fine as well. Um, And as long as this crisis continues, we're also offering for those of you who are interested in our classes. We know that a lot of you are suffering. So, um, we're continuing our scholarship program. So if you are hoping to continue with your writing for every regularly priced, um, uh, class that we sell. We are, for every regularly priced class that we sell, we're giving away two 50% scholarships. Uh, you can claim them right on our website. You, you, it's, a, it's an honor code thing. If you need it, please take it. If you're thinking about ProTrack or a workshop but are afraid about affording it, um, we're, we're matching all the money that gets donated for our quarantine event and we're using that to subsidize the cost of ProTrack and workshops for our affected population so if you want to be part of it you don't have to worry about money you can reach out to us uh, visit our website reach out to info at writeyourscreenplay.com and we will be happy to help you out